0: Worker of yours. You're listening to KCBS in depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about.
2: The aggressive advocates who are looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this
3: case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful.
0: This is KCBS In-Depth.
1: It has been a week of mourning after a string of mass shootings struck three California communities in the span of just a few days. It began last Saturday in Monterey Park when a shooting at a dance studio left 11 dead. Then on Monday, another attack struck Half Moon Bay, killing seven. And later that evening in Oakland... Yet another shooting killed an 18-year-old man and injured several others. Even for a country that's already seen so many mass shootings before, this has been a lot to take in.
4: It's really difficult to describe the overwhelming feeling of of loss.
1: Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, we're going to speak with some of those who are helping to rally the community response to these tragedies. And then a bit later on, we'll also discuss gun control in California, and hear why even as calls for further reform grow louder, the legal challenges are also getting steeper.
3: We've already seen lower courts across the country strike down a number of what have previously been thought very reasonable, sensible laws.
1: First up, though, we're going to start close to home and check in on the aftermath of the shooting in Half Moon Bay. Monday's shooting marked the deadliest attack in the history of San Mateo County as Chun-Li Zhao, a farm worker who had lived and worked for several years in the community, allegedly opened fire on other workers at two local farms. By the time the shooting had stopped, seven people were dead and one more critically injured. The attack has also left behind shock, grief, and trauma for this normally quiet coastal town. We're going to hear more about the response now from the mayor of Half Moon Bay, Deborah Penrose. Deborah Penrose, welcome to KCBS In Depth. Thank you. So first, of course, our heartfelt condolences go out to you and everyone affected by this tragedy. In the days that have followed, we've been hearing about donation drives, memorials. Tell us a little bit more about how the community has been coming together over this past week or so.
2: There has been a huge outpouring of um, help and response and uh, questions and uh, commentary by everyone in the community. We are a small community, but we are very, very vocal. We are very close knit and we are, I like to call us a group, uh, a community of volunteers. So everybody's out there giving as much as they can. Mm. There are actually two funds right now Um, to which people can um, give donations. One of them is Alice's, it's called Half Moon Bay Strong Fund. And the other is Coastside Hope's donation page. Both of those can be uh, places where people can donate money if possible. We've had a vigil Friday uh, evening uh, at our MacDuta Park, which is uh, the place where people have brought flowers and cards in remembrance.
1: And it's, it's almost difficult to find the words here, but um, how, how big of a difference do you feel like that's been making? I mean, when, when I reflect on my own memories uh, from Half Moon Bay, it's all just... Some of the most positive memories I have in my life. It's such a, a beautiful place to be. It's such a tranquil place to be. And uh, the contrast of uh, these shocking incidents, uh, I, I know, are being felt throughout the Bay Area and throughout the state and even the country. I'm sure. Um, what what is your sense of um, the amount of uh, healing that's been able to take place in the short time?
2: I you know I don't think we're at a, a place right now where I call us in a healing phase. Uh, I think we're all still in shock. I think this highlights some of the difficulties that any community that employs low wage workers is going to be feeling. I don't think it is, I think it highlights some of the difficulties that we have. Um, I, I am glad that we're a small community. I'm glad that we are a loving, caring, close knit community and that will help us, that, that's we need that to get through this. But I don't think the healing phase has begun yet. I, I, I'm hoping it will happen, um, but I th- don't think it's going to be able to happen without some recognition of the horrendous lives that some people live.
1: Yeah it it has been an eye-opening week in a lot of different ways you know when we think of half moon bay i think many of us would have in mind the beaches the seaside attractions but of course there is also this substantial farm worker community Uh, Many of them are migrant workers who uh, speak Chinese or Spanish with very limited English. Um, And as you've been alluding to, this past week, we have had a number of revelations about the very difficult lives uh, faced by this community, uh, which, again, included the shooter. Uh, Conditions like low wages, uh, cramped quarters, um, and, and all this really brought to light by this week's tragedy. Mayor how do you think that we should internalize these revelations and you know really take them to heart
2: yes i think i think if you look at the community as a as a uh, a tourist or even just a local who's come from um silicon valley or from the city to come and enjoy our beautiful coastal trails and our beautiful bluffs and our beautiful beaches What you don't see are the homeless who have been cleaning the beaches up after our tourists come and leave trash on the beaches. They don't see the um, workers who are working for minimum wage uh, and bringing them wonderful organic food uh, from the kitchen to the table, our baristas, our, our waiters, They don't see the people that clean our homes um, or manicure our beautiful gardens. These folks are hidden from view and yet they make up uh, at least 30% of our population. It's complicated and it's not Half Moon Bay alone that has this issue. This is the United States of America where we say everyone is healthy and happy and eating organic food and raising wonderful children and beautiful homes and um, going to wonderful schools. This is not the truth. The truth is there are the wealthy and there are the poor. And the divide between the two groups is huge and the disparities aren't seen, they're hidden from view.
1: Yeah, well, we're going to continue that conversation in just a second. Uh, for right now, though, we're going to take a step back from Half Moon Bay for a moment and uh, talk about how this string of attacks is being felt right now in the Asian American community. Uh, for a closer look, welcoming on now Cynthia Che. She's the co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action, it's a San Francisco-based advocacy group, also a co-founder of the Stop AAPI Hate Tracking Group. Cynthia Che, welcome back on KCBS In Depth.
4: Thank you, Keith, for having me back.
1: So you've been involved in coordinating some of the response to these attacks, uh, which in the case of the Monterey Park shooting left 11 Asian Americans dead. Uh, Meantime, Monday's shooting targeted both Asian-American and Latino victims. Both were carried out by elderly Asian men, and uh, both come in close proximity to the Lunar New Year holiday, which is, of course, uh, supposed to be a time of uh, joy and coming together for families. Um, And, and Cynthia, there is a strange uh, echo here, at least for our program, because uh, the last time you were on this show, uh, it was two years ago, and it was also around the Lunar New Year holiday, and... Back then, we were talking about anti Asian hate. Um, it uh, seems like hope was running quite high that 2023 could get off to a better start. Perhaps we would turn over a new leaf. Uh, but uh, here we are again with yet another traumatic event for the Asian American community to talk about.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost surreal. Um, and it's, it's really difficult to describe the overwhelming feeling of, of loss. That's taken place um, this past week and the impact that it's had on the Asian American community. And, um, you know, I I do wanna just extend my deepest condolences to Mayor Penrose. Um, This is a time of, of deep mourning, and we extend our condolences to the Latino community, the farm working community. Um, and it is a period of mourning and I think that right now um, so many of us are thinking about the directly impacted folks. And I'm especially um, concerned about the impacted farm workers um, who as Mayor Penrose lifted up are, is, are a very vulnerable population and they experience multiple forms of harm and violence that I think is is also important to, to recognize. But the shock uh, waves through our, our community is real. And um, we have to keep in mind that this is in the wake of almost three years of heightened fears in our community because of the hate that our communities have been experiencing.
1: Yeah, and we've also seen a real tangible impacts on uh, the livelihoods of uh, many predominantly Asian districts, Uh, Chinatown not seeing as much foot traffic, as much business over the past couple of years. And uh, there was a real uh, hunger for rebuilding, a real hunger for a return uh, back towards normalcy. Is the sense right now that that's a little bit further out of reach? Or what is the feeling at this moment in terms of where we're going?
4: Well, like so many um, in our community, um, I had spent the weekend with my family, uh, getting ready mm. uh, to celebrate, to experience joy with my loved ones, uh, looking forward to many community festivities that were planned. Um, and again, um, this is a community where our Chinatowns and Manila towns and Japan Japantowns um, really saw a drop in terms of um, attendance and businesses, small businesses were very much hurt. We were really looking forward to things reopening and going back to what it was. And and certainly uh, it really marred uh, what we were hoping to be new beginnings, uh, beginnings of hope, a sense of calm, sense of security and safety for our communities.
1: And uh, closing thoughts, uh, hoping to hear from uh, both of you, starting uh, with you, uh, once again, Cynthia Che, the uh, co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action. Um, What are the steps that are going to be taken uh, from here? I understand that there's going to be more outreach work to some of those uh, farming communities within Half Moon Bay. Uh, What does that look like? Uh, What comes next?
4: Well, right now, the focus uh, and priority um, are the directly impacted community members. Um, We need to ensure that during this time of crisis and tragedy that they're receiving uh, language and culturally competent care. Um, One of the things we know about these types of tragedies is that um, it has a long tail and um, we'll be dealing with this for days, months, and even years ahead. So that's the first priority, and I think, um, you know, we're here uh, in the Greater Bay Area ready to wrap our arms around the Half Moon Bay community, and um, and this is the work that we're very much invested in.
1: And uh, Deborah Penrose, again, the mayor of Half Moon Bay, similar question to you. I understand that there is uh, an interfaith memorial service coming up on uh, Tuesday, just a few days from now. Uh, what else would you hope that folks uh, outside of Half Moon Bay be aware of uh, about uh, the sorts of needs that are there and uh, the sorts of um, coming together that is also taking place?
2: I think um, that the um, community surrounding Half Moon Bay has been very Responsive and very helpful. I, I am hoping that they will come to our vigil at the uh, Boys and Girls Club gym on Kelly Avenue on Tuesday at uh, four o'clock for the interfaith memorial service, uh, and continue to come to our town and to support our town with um, their tourist tourist activities, of uh, come use our beaches, use our coastal bluffs, but understand that there's a lot of work that goes into making our community a beautiful community. And I think that our job um, as leaders in town is to see that the farm working community becomes better integrated and better served um, and better represented than it has been in the past.
1: All right. Wonderful. Well, uh, an important point to end things on. And we're going to thank both of you for joining us uh, one last time. We've been speaking with Cynthia Che, the co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action. Uh, Cynthia Che, thanks so much to you. Thank you. And uh, thanks as well to Deborah Penrose, mayor of Half Moon Bay, for sharing your insights in this difficult time. Deborah Penrose, thanks so much.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: This is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we reflect on this past week's string of mass shootings that have shattered lives, traumatized communities, and also added new urgency to the debate on gun reform. In the days following the attacks, Governor Newsom has been calling for a federal ban on assault weapons. But it's unlikely those calls will go far in a divided Congress. Meantime, even California's existing gun control legislation considered to be among the strictest in the nation, is under new legal pressure, as the Supreme Court takes a more critical view of such measures. To help us understand this quickly changing legal landscape, we're going to welcome on now Adam Winkler, a constitutional law professor at UCLA and an expert on gun law. Adam Winkler, welcome back onto the program. Thanks so much for having me. So when it comes to gun control, uh, California lawmakers have been quite busy over the past year or so. Uh, We've seen a number of new measures, uh, including one that sets the stage for uh, lawsuits against gun manufacturers and uh, another that further restricts untraceable ghost guns. Uh, And then uh, this year, there are yet more laws in the works as well. Uh, uh, But Adam Winkler, uh, all of this reform effort uh, faces an uncertain future. Tell us a little bit more about what's been going on at the Supreme Court.
3: Well, in June of 2022, the Supreme Court issued really a landmark ruling on the Second Amendment. And that case not only struck down some provisions of New York's concealed carry policy, which has an effect here in California because we had a very similar policy and we've had to um, revise our standards for getting a permit. But the court also in that case articulated a new test or standard for all gun laws to meet when faced with Second Amendment challenges. And that new test is very high. It's a very high burden for laws to survive constitutional scrutiny now. And um, I, I think that the primary um, the primary effect of that new test will be to call into question, if not strike down, some of California's gun safety reform laws, either the ones that have been passed in recent years, like high-capacity magazine bans or bans on certain kinds of military-style rifles, or uh, uh, the court will um, uh, possibly even... Uh, strike those laws down, not just call them into question.
1: And as far as the new ambitions that California lawmakers might have, uh, there's a a long list of uh, proposals that they are considering uh, this year, including uh, issuing a license, uh, license restrictions for uh, concealed uh, carry weapons. Uh, Could these legal challenges temper those ambitions, create a hurdle making it harder to uh, enact uh, those new laws.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're like that. The new Supreme Court test is going to make it much difficult, much more difficult to pass such laws. I think the desire for gun safety reform in California is very strong, and I think gun safety reform advocates have a pretty strong. Majority in the state houses. Uh, But there might be some legislatures who think that it's not worth spending the time uh, enacting new gun reforms uh, if those reforms are likely to be struck down by the courts. So I I think the real issue for California lawmakers is not at the legislation stage, like getting something passed, but really in the litigation stage afterwards. Um, You know, the courts are definitely expanding Second Amendment rights and. Um, We've already seen lower courts across the country strike down a number of what have previously been thought very reasonable, sensible laws, like laws preventing uh, someone from having a firearm with the serial number removed, or restrictions on guns in places like summer camps and churches. So uh, it's definitely California's gun laws do have an uncertain future in the courts.
1: All right. Well, we're going to put a pin in the legal talk for uh, just one second, because I want to talk next about what the stakes really are in this legal tussle over gun regulations. Uh, You know, if uh, the ultimate goal here is to prevent gun violence, the question is, uh, how big of a difference have California's laws been making and uh, what would change if they were overturned? For some insights, we're going to welcome on now Dr. Amy Barnhorst, a psychiatrist at UC Davis and the associate director of the university's Violence Prevention Research Program. Dr. Amy Barnhorst, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks for having me, Keith. Uh, let's start
1: with the big picture of gun violence in California. Are there any signs that the laws that we do have on the books uh, are working?
0: Yeah, I would say there are a lot of signs. And we've done a good job of passing sensible, evidence based firearm laws in California. And residents of California have a much lower chance of dying by a gun than residents of other states, including a 25% lower risk of dying in a mass shooting. Our firearm mortality rates have, up until 2020, which was a particularly violent year everywhere, they've they've been really on the decline for um, over a decade. And then we had a little bump, but not as big of a bump as the rest of the nation did in 2020.
1: Right. So those numbers are encouraging. Uh, but I do want to bring in a critique that we often hear from gun rights advocates, uh, and uh, we have been hearing it this past week. That is that, you know, outbursts of violence like what we've just seen show that California's gun laws uh, simply aren't working, they would say. You know, the, uh, the situation is a little different between the uh, Half Moon Bay attack and the Monterey Park attack, but uh, whether the weapon was obtained legally or not... Uh, You have a gun that made it into the hands of a mass shooter, despite laws designed to prevent that from happening. Um, Does the fact of such attacks undermine the case that uh, California's gun laws are making a difference?
0: I would say no, because what people forget is that when a horrible thing like this happens, we hear about it all over the media. But when something like this is averted, nothing happens and it's quiet. And so we're not aware of all the times that California's gun laws prevented mass shootings, prevented a domestic violence death, prevented somebody from dying in the context of criminal activity, or prevented a suicide. And we who do research in that field do get to see some of that. So one of our one of my colleagues uh, has been leading a study of the California's gun violence restraining orders and cases in which those orders were filed because of a threat of a mass shooting. And you know, we can't be sure that every one of the almost 60 cases they're looking at would have happened without these orders. But these weren't people who were just making casual comments. These are people who were in the the waiting period for purchasing high capacity weapons and magazines. These are people who had gotten the blueprints for their workplace, who would set a date and a time, who had made a lot of preparations for an act like this. And none of the cases in that they're investigating in which these orders were filed, in none of those cases did a mass shooting actually occur.
1: California lawmakers and uh, the governor as well uh, have been outspoken, though, in saying that, you know, neighboring states with their relatively lax uh, gun laws make it harder for California to make uh, progress on this front. So there are certainly uh, challenges, you know, given the context of a country where there are more guns than people. How big of a difference can California's laws make uh, on their own?
0: Again, we can still make a difference, and it's not perfect, of course, because we have these permeable borders, but our firearm mortality rates are still among the lowest in the nation. And yes, some guns do come across mostly from Nevada and Arizona. In fact, we saw the Gilroy mass shooting was perpetrated by a 19-year-old who would not have been able, under California's more stringent regulations, would not have been able to purchase a firearm until he was 21, but he was able to get one in Nevada as a 19-year-old. However, Again, we only hear about the incidents where bad things happen. Statistically, according to the data, there is much less mortality because of we are in California rather than a different state.
1: All right. Well, um, I want to put a similar question to both of you, where it is you think gun reform efforts could be directed next, especially in the context of this uh, trickier legal environment. Uh, Where are the places where um, further gun reform really could make a difference and actually last for some amount of time? Uh, Putting that question first to you, uh, Adam Winkler, again, constitutional law professor at UCLA, Given the rightward turn that we have seen at the Supreme Court, given the legal challenges that are inevitably going to take place, where do you see the most uh, fruitful action from the perspective of uh, folks that are interested in further gun reform in California?
3: Well, I think that we have to think about gun reform in very broad terms, that Um, regulating guns is going to become more difficult in the coming years because of expanded Second Amendment protections. But we can do more in terms of cracking down on gun trafficking uh, and enforcement of our gun laws. We can do more to get guns out of the hands of people who've been uh, determined to be prohibited purchasers but still have firearms. And we could also have real effective Community intervention programs, things like Operation Ceasefire, that have a proven track record of reducing gun violence. I think, Keith, that it's important for um, uh, Californians and uh, Americans more general, more generally, to remember that the goal of gun safety reform. Um, is not really to completely eliminate gun violence or mass shooting. While obviously that would be nice, these are public health problems. And just like we're never going to completely eliminate drunk driving or completely eliminate sexual assault or murder, we just wanna put laws in place that bring down the daily death toll uh, of gun, from gun violence. California has already done that and shown that it has success in bringing down that daily death toll. But as long as we're a heavily armed society, And even though we say California has restrictive gun laws, we are a heavily armed state. Um, Our laws are only restrictive compared to Texas and Mississippi, compared to most of the Western industrialized world from Japan and South Korea and England and France. We have some of the most permissive gun laws in the entire world. So we have to keep that in perspective.
1: And uh, closing thought to you, Dr. Amy Barnhorst, uh, where do you see the most promising uh, avenues for gun reform in the years ahead, given everything that we've talked about?
0: I think one of the big things we can do is stand as a model for other states to follow suit with gun laws that really target high-risk people. And we've done a good job of that. We prohibit people whose Um, have convictions for violent misdemeanors, rather than just people who have convictions for felonies. We prohibit people under the age of 21 even from buying long guns. We prohibit people who have been psychiatrically hospitalized for dangerousness before the point of commitment. So we've, we've expanded our prohibitory criteria for folks who are risky. And we also have red flag laws, which can be used to target folks who otherwise would fall through the cracks of their prohibi- prohibition system, but might be making threats or you know, engaging in concerning behavior. And that is a temporary civil order that allows us to take firearms out of their hands during that very high risk time. And it's been shown to reduce suicides uh, as well as be an effective tool for intervening in threats of mass shootings. So I think one of the big things we can do is let people know about those laws and that now if you were concerned about a student at your school or somebody in your workplace acting suspiciously making threats of violence posting things on their instagram about you know previous mass shooters you can report this to the police or you can petition for an order yourself if you're a family member or certain types of coworkers and actually get firearms out of their hands
1: yeah well a very important conversation and you know in, in, in a lot of ways very similar to many conversations that have taken place before, and I think that that's become a cliche in the coverage of these mass shootings. But in another way, I also do hear a lot of signs of change in what the both of you are talking about and signs of new developments taking shape. So important to shed light on that uh, as well. Uh, We're going to thank you both for joining us. We have been speaking once again to Adam Winkler, a constitutional law professor at UCLA. Adam Winkler, thanks so much.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Also spoke with Dr. Amy Barnhorst, a psychiatrist at UC Davis and the Associate Director of the University's Violence Prevention Research Program. Dr. Amy Barnhorst, thanks to you as well. Thank you, Keith. And thank you all for listening for KCBS and In-Depth. I'm Keith Mancone. Stay safe, be well. We'll talk again next week.
0: You've been listening to KCBS in depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit KCBSRadio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hiya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician.